We'll return next week to our series through the book of Lamentations. But I encourage you to turn with me this week to uh, Psalm 133. Psalm 133. This is a, a fairly well-known psalm. At least a, the, the topic is, is well-known and clear, stated there in the first verse. The topic is unity. Uh, it's a very short psalm uh, and, and simple in some ways, but the, the rest of the psalm, the other two verses, are two illustrations of unity that are maybe not so clear uh, on, on first reading. So let's look again this week at a, a psalm of the month as we've been doing and with the goal to hear uh, the gospel and the teaching of God's word in the psalms and also the goal to be better, be better able to sing this psalm, to sing Psalm 133. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he resolves there to sing with the understanding, he says. That is to sing uh, understanding and, and thinking uh, carefully about what he's saying and praise to God. So here as I read uh, God's holy word, Psalm 133, a song of a sense of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured upon the head, coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Again, this is a psalm about unity, and I want to encourage you this morning to long for the unity that this psalm speaks of. We have many examples um, around us and among us of disunity. We all experience it. We all create it uh, in, in our sinful natures. It's well known that more than half of marriages end in divorce. There's divisions between parents and children. There are tens of thousands of denominations, Christian denominations in the world. And some of that has to do with Division and disagreement. Uh, there's little commitment to local congregations. Um, there's disunity in our churches at times. And just think about the life of David. The life of David, the author of this psalm, uh, cries out for unity. Uh, his, his experiences. Um, just think about the book of 2 Samuel and all that it describes. Uh, in 2 Samuel 2, David takes the throne uh, only immediately to have disunity in his kingdom. Uh, Ishbosheth takes most of the nation uh, away and divides the nation for a time. Uh, in chapter 3, the next chapter, there's disunity in his military. One of David's commanders kills another of his commanders. Uh, in chapter 4, Ishbosheth is then murdered. In chapter 13, there's great disunity in, in David's family. There's the story of Amnon and Tamar. And then David's son Amnon is killed by his other son Absalom. And David, in, in chapter 15, Absalom raises uh, support in Israel and again divides the nation. Uh, and David has to go into exile for a little while. Uh, in chapter 18, his son Absalom is killed. And uh, this goes on into Solomon's life and his kingdom as well. David experienced much disunity uh, in his family, his kingdom. Um, we don't know when David wrote this psalm, but we can see many points at which he might have longed for the unity that he's, he writes about, sings about in this 
psalm, even as he celebrates it and obviously experienced it as well. Uh, the psalm was likely written for um, uh, or during a time of, of corporate worship uh, when Israel would come together, perhaps particularly at the time of the great feasts. Uh, again, the title here is a song of ascents. It's one of these 15 psalms in a row that has that title, a song of ascents, uh, ascending, um, uh, climbing up the hill to Jerusalem is the idea. Uh, as, as the pilgrims would gather for the Passover or the Day of Atonement, some of these great feasts, uh, these songs were written particularly for that time, for that gathering. It was a time of visible unity, when the unity of God's people was more readily um, celebrated and, and seen uh, as so many believers came together uh, to worship. So Psalm 133 is a celebration of that unity, and it teaches us the great blessing of it. So my encouragement to you as we look at this psalm this morning is, is to be grateful for and to uh, work hard towards that unity uh, and, and to know the blessing of it. So we're going to go just uh, roughly through uh, each of these verses one by one uh, in this short psalm. So look first, as you see on your outline there, at the nature of unity. How does David describe unity among believers in verse 1? We'll look at several words individually here to, to get some of the richness of his description. Um, in verse 1 there, he's, he describes it as, as good and pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. Uh, that phrase of brothers dwelling together uh, is found in other places in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 25, for example, it just speaks of, of a family, um, extended family living together there. Here, David is clearly using the term brothers more broadly, not just um, relatives in an immediate family, but, but believers, um, the family of believers. Um, and it points to uh, the closeness that they ought to have, uh, like a family. Uh, likewise, the word dwelling, they're dwelling not just um, in the same space, not even just agreeing, but, but it, that word points to some intimacy necessary to live with someone in the same space, uh, dwelling together. Uh, the word translated together could be translated joined or united or sometimes is translated as one. Um, if you look at cross-references of that word, um, it shows a, a unity of purpose, a unity of experience between people who are, who are close, uh, living in love towards one another. And David says this is good. It's good, it's, it's right, it's as it should be, it's as God has designed. God designed men and women for, for unity with each other, originally. And we think back to Adam and Eve and, and the perfect unity they must have enjoyed with each other and with God uh, in the garden before the fall. How beautiful a thing that is. And in fact, that's David's other description here. It's good and pleasant or uh, pleasing, delightful, beautiful is the meaning of that word. It carries the sense that it implies it's something that, that pleases, that gives joy. Uh, unity of believers is. It uh, gives joy because, again, this is people functioning as God, God intended them to. How beautiful it is when uh, couples, married couples, are together in love and raising their children and families stay together and grow old enjoying their God-given unity. When, when congregations come together uh, to worship God together. Um, even beyond that, when, when nations are united and, and working towards um, common purposes. Uh, David's description here, of course, implies that the opposite is true. And we've seen, again, all of us have seen many examples of that in our lives. 
um, that disunity is, is ugly and sometimes shameful and brings uh, lots of sorrow. Uh, so David has a, a, an exalted view of the unity of the brothers and sisters of, uh, of God's people. Uh, so secondly, look at number two on your outline, and this will, will consider the main point of, of David's first illustration of that then in, in, cha- in verse two. Uh, unity includes diversity. Uh, verse two, it is like, unity is like, the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. What is David referring to there? I was referring to the anointing of Aaron. Anointing was God simply setting someone or something apart, so setting someone apart for a particular task. And, and here it's setting Aaron apart, Moses' brother Aaron, as the first high priest. A very important calling and task. On Leviticus 8, we read about this. And he poured, uh, Moses poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And that was in obedience to God's command. Aaron was set apart with this oil. But what was this oil? How is this oil um, like the unity of God's people? How does it illustrate unity among uh, the church, the people of the church? Well, I want to, I want to read from uh, Exodus chapter 30, uh, where it describes this oil that was used. You can turn back there with me or, or listen as I read a few verses from Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse uh, 22. This is where God gives Moses instruction for this oil. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take also for yourself the finest of spices, of flowing myrrh, 500 shekels, and of fragrant cinnamon, half as much, 250, and of fragrant cane, 250, and of cassia, 500, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of olive oil, a hen. You shall make of these a holy anointing oil, a perfume mixture, the work of a perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. So this is the oil that comes to David's mind when he's thinking about unity in the church. It has five ingredients, myrrh, cinnamon, cane, cassia, and olive oil. And you put them all together and it makes one beautiful, pleasant, fragrant anointing oil. So I think the, the parallel David is drawing to God's people is, is obvious. Now, diversity is, is quite a buzzword these days, of course. Um, it's a loaded term. It's twisted for various purposes. But this, simp- this simile that David makes, that, that unity in the church is like this oil, um, simply points to a, a simple diversity that is part of the beauty of the unity that we have in Christ. Uh, think about the diversity that we have uh, in our church or among the, the believers that you know, many different and distinct people, different ages, uh, kids and youth and adults and uh, different races, black, white, Asian, others, men, women, uh, broken families, mixed families, wealthy, poor, everything in between, many different professions, and maybe especially many different personalities and backgrounds. Aside from essentials that unite us, some different convictions and goals and methods in living out the Christian life and parenting and different tastes in food and clothing and decorating, different talents and abilities and interests, and we could go on and on. And yet in Christ, 
We have faith in the God who created and saved us, a desire to serve him that unites us in Christ, even though we're different in many ways. We're like like 10,000 different spices and oils. Uh, We're all united as sons and daughters in the family of God. That's part of the beauty of of the church and unity in the church. And you and I are called to appreciate that unity, appreciate that diversity. And not, again, for diversity's sake, but in, in recognizing what God has done, what his grace has overcome in each one of us. And how his grace uh, brings us together from so many different backgrounds and families and sins and struggles and so on. And teaches us not to dwell so much as we tend to do on what is different about us or what is wrong with other people. uh, But but on what unites us in Christ uh, in the grace that we've all received. Another piece, before we look at verse 3, looking at uh, number 3 on your outline, another piece of what's likely illustrated in this psalm, I think, uh, is that unity diffuses blessing. It diffuses blessing. And I want to draw your attention to a a word here in the psalm that's repeated. Some translations obscure this. If you have an NIV or an ESV, it uses various different words. But the NAS that I'm reading from here uh, uses the same phrase repeatedly. And it's, it's very helpfully, we can see that, it, that David's saying something, uh, one thing over and over again. Um, he uses the same verb three times in a row. Uh, the, the Hebrew word yored, which means to come down or to run down. So if you look in verse 2, the oil is coming down. It's coming down on his robes. And then verse 3, the dew is coming down on the mountains. Coming down, coming down, coming down. Something clearly uh, emphasized and illustrated by this as well, I think. Uh, Brotherly love, dwelling together in unity, is somehow like this oil and like the dew running down and spreading out. Um, The images of of something that's not just staying in one place, it's it's diffusive. Uh, It's spreading. Uh, The oil spread all over Aaron. It didn't just stay on his head. The dew didn't just stay on the top of the mountain. It ran down the mountain. And David emphasizes that. I think it points to unity as something that ought to spread. It ought to uh, bless everyone who is involved. It ought to be contagious. Uh, we understand how, how good things and bad things can spread like that. Joy and, and good attitudes are contagious. They bless people around you. Uh, and negative attitudes, depression, does the same thing. It affects others around. Uh, everyone in a family benefits from, from united parents. That, that runs down and blesses the family, right? Um, uh, happens at a company or a university, a, a united uh, leadership. Uh, that, that unity runs down and gives blessing uh, to others. Um, unity among believers ought also to spread and, and to bless others. Uh, so that's, that's one point I wanted to draw out as well. But then looking at, at the last illustration, verse 3 and number 4 on your outline. Uh, Unity is and brings divine blessing, uh, is how I'm summarizing this. So look at verse 3. It is like, again, unity is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. And first I just want to note that the very end of that verse uh, shows that, that unity, it's making the point that unity is a blessing from God. Uh, there the Lord commanded the blessing. There where, where, where there is unity among his people. Um, I want to touch on one, one 
other thing from verse 2 that's a possible piece of the comparison that David is making. Uh, and, and I want to do that by, by going back to this oil in Exodus 30. Here's, this is just a few verses past what I read earlier about the, the recipe for the oil. And God says this. He says, You shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of any ordinary person. You shall not make any other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. The, the oil that David talks about is clearly special, it's holy, it's set apart by God, it's a, it's a blessing from God, uh, like verse 3 says of unity. Uh, unity, likewise, is, is special. It's, it's holy, in a sense, as a gift from God. It's to be taken seriously, uh, like, like this oil. Uh, a way that, it's a way that unity ought to uh, mark and set apart the church. Uh, the church has been set apart for, for service to God. How much better can, can we serve God? How much better can you work in an environment of unity? Uh, how much more productive is, is a company that's unified? Um, the church is in a better position to be used by God, to be a witness for God uh, when it's united. Uh, Charles Spurgeon asks of this, this piece of the comparison, how likely is God to use those who are devoid of love or devoid of this unity? So it's a, it's a gift of God, but let's, let's look at this uh, illustration in verse 3, the dew of Hermon, and that's surely a reference to Mount Hermon, uh, a mountain uh, in Israel. But first, why, why dew? Why a comparison between unity in the church and dew? Uh, I, when I studied this psalm a, a while back, I was surprised to see how much dew comes up in the Bible. Uh, dew is a... a figure uh, a metaphor often uh, in the Old Testament, uh, 35 times. That's a lot of, a lot of do. Um, it's almost always an illustration of, uh, you know, from agriculture and, and weather uh, of, of something spiritual. Uh, and two, two particular ways do is used uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it points to a blessing from God, uh, for one thing. Genesis 27, here's an example. May God, give you the bless, may God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Uh, so there it's used as, as part of a, an idiom for God's great blessing. Um, Zechariah chapter 8, verse 12 is another. There shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So again, it's part of a... Uh, pronouncement of God's great blessing uh, on the remnant of Israel is lots of dew. Um, another way, it, maybe more generally, dew is used figuratively is just for refreshment, for nourishment. Uh, Hosea 14 is an example of that, uh, where God says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. And in a, in a really arid region, Dew is more important than it is in a lot of places in, in the United States as, as a means of actually watering things. And so it's a, an idiom for refreshment and um, nourishment. Proverbs 19, there's a, a proverb speaks of dew as well, makes this comparison. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. Uh, it, it gives blessing, nourishment. Uh, it's a, a figure for that which facilitates growth. So we'll come back to that. That's the comparison with dew. Uh, how about Mount Hermon? 
Uh, Mount Hermon was a, a mountain in northern Israel at that time. Today it's in modern Syria. And Mount Hermon, along with Mount Lebanon, were, were kind of the two big mountains there in northern Israel. Mount Hermon is about 9,000 feet tall. Mount Lebanon, which is in present-day Lebanon, uh, is about 10,000 feet tall. And so these, these two mountains don't really rival you know, Long's Peak and other you know, of our highest mountains here in Colorado, but, but they would certainly appear to, uh, because not far from the base of the mountain is sea level. They rise straight from the Mediterranean Sea, not straight, but very quickly from the Mediterranean Sea up to 9,000, 10,000 feet, uh, and were very prominent uh, uh, mountains there. Um, and below Mount Hermon was, was uh, swamps, um, Mediterranean Sea, warm and, and moist, and these would heat up during the day, and, and, and warm, moist air would rise up uh, Mount Hermon. And then drop copious amounts of dew on the mountain. Um, and so uh, Mount Hermon was known for unusually large amounts of dew. Uh, just because of that meteorological phenomenon of warm, moist air and, and such a tall uh, mountain. And so it created a fertile land around the mountain in a region that's generally arid and, and dry. And so the dew of Hermon, the dew of Mount Hermon, was proverbially heavy. Uh, it was proverbially really, uh, a really large amount of dew. And the comparison here then speaks to a great abundance of blessing from God that is unity in the church. Uh, the dew, again, is a, a figure of, of blessing and nourishment, the blessing of God. Uh, the dew of Hermon is, is a copious amount. Uh, it's a great blessing, uh, a blessing that runs down uh, and gives and, and spreads blessing. Uh, one, one commentator puts it this way, Just as heavy dews refresh and invigorate plant life, so the blessing of unity descends alike on all those that are within the church, and all godly virtues thrive and flourish. And that commentator goes on to note that, that disunity, discord, has the opposite effect. Right? It, it kills, it breaks down, it prevents growth. Uh, it prevents um, flourishing, uh, like a lack of dew or a lack of rain. The other piece of this illustration, then, is the, is, is the rather curious statement that the dew of Hermon is coming down on the mountains of Zion. That's a curious statement because Hermon is nowhere near Mount Zion. Uh, they're not even comparable mountains. Mount Zion is more of a, a, a geographical bump uh, compared to Mount Hermon. Uh, it's not that tall. Uh, it, it, it is sort of a rise. Uh, but Mount Zion, of course, is where Jerusalem is. And Jerusalem was the most significant place in Israel. It's where God, particularly and visibly in the temple, dwelled with his people. And Jerusalem stands repeatedly in the Old Testament for the, the people of God. It's not about the place or the city so much as this is where God's people are. This is where he loves and cares for and blesses his people. It's the, it's the focal point of God's rule and his, his favor to his people. This is where God gives abundant blessing and gives unity and blesses unity, particularly. Uh, again, thinking of this psalm as, as a psalm sung as all of Israel would gather for the Passover or for other festivals. And so dew is a picture of, of nourishment and blessing. The dew of Hermon is a, a large amount of dew, a, a great blessing of God uh, that comes on the people of God uh, in Jerusalem. And likewise, still, in the church today, where there's unity, there's blessing. 
and there's, there's growth in the graces of God. Uh, Paul makes a, a similar point in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, where he says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. All these phrases that point to the, the way that we live out unity. And he says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. It's a, a blessing of God and something that God blesses when we pursue uh, this blessing that we have of unity. We might say the greatest blessing that the church has from God is life, right? New life, life forever in Christ. Uh, true, full life as God intended is, uh, is what unites us. And this is how David ends the psalm. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Uh, he connects this blessing of unity, this great blessing of unity, with, with the greatest blessing that God gives, uh, life this is what unites us. Uh, Paul, uh, a good number of times, encourages the church in the New Testament towards unity. We read from Ephesians 4 earlier this morning. Uh, in Ephesians 2, Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. Even Jews and Gentiles have been brought uh, together in every way, uh, united in Christ. Paul Again, many other places repeatedly urges the church to live out the unity that it has in Christ. Emphasize the has. He he urges the church to be who they are in Christ. They are united. It's not something he commands the church to, to manufacture, but to live out what they already have in Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Paul famously says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And the reason there is because of Christ's death on the cross. Because this is what Christ has already done. He's already given to them. They've all been purchased with his blood. They've all been welcomed by the Father in the same way. You have. The church is united, even though it doesn't always appear that way. The church is united in Christ. So be who you are is Paul's encouragement over and over. Be be what you have in Christ already. Uh, Here in our congregation, we're blessed to have unity in in many ways. And and to have had that for many years. uh, For the leadership in our church to be united. Uh, Many churches don't have that in the way that we've been blessed to have that. Certainly it's not perfect. It hasn't always been perfect uh, in our congregation. Um, and, but we ought to think, how can we strive uh, for even more unity? How can we strive to continue to see the blessing uh, of unity in our congregation? Well, we need to work hard to resolve conflicts when they arise, even small. We need to work towards agreeing with each other, not, not in everything, not in you know, our favorite foods and clothes and all those things, but to agree in important things. Think about how we can include people, perhaps those who are on the outside or on the fringes. Um, How can we reach out to those who need help or attention or maybe just need a conversation or a friend? How can we strive for unity by better serving each other? Uh, We ought to work hard towards unity, to continue to work on unity, uh, because we are the body of Christ, because we are united in Christ. It honors Christ and what he's done for us uh, when we live out that unity. And also, 
recognizing that it brings blessing from God. That's part of what this psalm points us to and what the scriptures promise. Well, I want to close just with a, a, a this is really Charles Spurgeon's closing comment slash prayer uh, on Psalm 133. Uh, so listen to Spurgeon's comment slash prayer. He says, Oh, for more of this rare virtue, not the love which comes and goes, but that which dwells. Not that spirit which separates and secludes, but that which dwells together. Not that mind which is all for debate and difference, but that which dwells together in unity. Never shall we know the full power of the anointing until we are one heart and of one spirit. Never will the sacred dew of the spirit descend in all its fullness till we are perfectly joined together in the same mind. Never will the covenanted and commanded blessing come forth from the Lord our God until once again we shall have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Lord, lead us into this most precious spiritual unity for your son's sake. Amen. And let's, let's close with prayer as well. Our Father, we thank you for this passage and this beautiful description of the blessing and the goodness and the beauty of unity. Uh, we thank you that you have uh, taught us and restored us to uh, the unity that you designed us for, uh, not only with you but with each other. Uh, we confess again that we are... Uh, imperfect in our attitudes and our living out of that unity, but we pray that you would help us to uh, cherish it more, uh, to be more mindful of it, uh, to work more diligently towards it, towards living out what you have given us, uh, even in this life in Christ. And we look forward to the day when uh, that unity will be perfect again. And we pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.